0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock and you can listen to us live and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. I don't know if I can actually share the Zoom stream straight to anyone. You
1: can't, because remember we tried that, you can't show a Zoom oh, stream yeah. to Facebook unless you pay for the fucking nose.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes. That's, that's, why that's why we stopped using it. Yes, that's right. You
1: have to well, pay twice. You get a membership and then you have to upgrade your membership.
0: That's right. Yeah. Sucks. Sucks. So if you want to right, create right a crappy right.
1: podcast and stream it on Facebook, don't you? Yeah. Wow. Well, or restream, apparently.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Fucking decides to work. Happy
1: birthday, Alicia, who is watching.
0: Happy from birthday, Clowness Alicia.
1: Downtown, so long. You can't really see what George is saying in here. But then again, you're getting the best view. You can see me.
0: Exactly. Uh, there goes my microphone. I'm a professional. Um. Okay, all right. Normally we have time to prepare. Podcast. Start streaming. There we go. Okay. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a weird, um, ramshackled Armchair Producers episode 101. I am one of your hosts, George Terran. I'm live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash and I'm here recording for a latest streaming of the video as well as podcast services with my partner in crime as always mr travis croft who is live on facebook so if you are here check us out on either of those two streams and uh, we'll happily have a chat and see how we're going travis how are you sir i am
1: fine and well fine and dandy ish um, uh considering uh, it's been an interesting week for me I, we hadn't intended to go uh, live and record this week, because I am supposed to be in Darwin mm-hmm. today, um, but for the incompetence of our, uh, I don't know who exactly, it was incompetence of somebody, um, meant that we were locked down, we are technically still locked down again in Melbourne until midnight. Um, so I was supposed to go to Adelaide on Saturday, and mm-hmm. then on trained to Darwin, and be in sweltering humidity, knocking mm-hmm. back in the coladas and eating lobster. eating on the beers. But maybe if they do eat food in Darwin. I mean, they just tear, like, roast like, turkeys apart with their hands.
0: Stuff. Have they got I think so. pepper in Darwin?
1: I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: well, yes. But, um, it's really strange. It's almost as if having an international sports event where people coming from all over the world and congregating together caused a slight uptick on COVID cases.
1: Weird. Fairness this was it wasn't a, it wasn't a tennis oh really it was not the tennis it was, the, it was not the tennis. it was the um it was the hotel at the airport which i guess for people who are from overseas or from elsewhere if you listen later this would be of very little interest but there was a <laughs> hotel where there are quarantining people who come back from overseas not tennis players um and it was somebody in that hotel who had it or something and then somebody else who worked there got it and apparently everybody in Melbourne, who works in these things, is a fucking social butterfly and goes to hundred different places in the four days after, before they get sick and then before you know it, we've got. As it is now, 3,400 people currently quarantining. Um, Great. For 14 days. Um, on the upside, the five-day thing is ending tonight. So, yep, you know, they true. kind of, they caught it. Um, so, not to say that lockdowns don't work, but they absolutely do. And mm. this one did. Um, it's just a case of um, I was supposed to be fucking Darwin. Like I was supposed to be on a train. Um, mm-hmm. As it is, its is, has been postponed
0: till fucking yeah. October. Never mind. It'll happen. It'll happen. never It'll happen. Eight, eight, eight months, and but, I and will really actually awkward, get a holiday you, as well.
1: The really awkward thing is, I kind of like technically my emperor is kind of responsible for this. So <laughs> you get too cranky because you're like it's not me particularly but like
0: yeah you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen we should all blame travis yes, it is, though.
1: <laughs> well darling listeners uh dear listeners you uh i'm not angry at all julian it's, i'm just taking it taking it as it is it's um it's um all good in the hood <laughs> but on the upside i'm going to say that you get it you get a you get um the benefit of one of these shows i guess is is the, the swings and roundabouts about because I sure as fuck wouldn't have been recording. Well, I guess I could have been recording from Darwin, but I probably wasn't. You could there. have, You could have, but probably not. And if it was, it would have been an interesting pina colada episode. It would have been drinking pina coladas on the beach. Uh, yeah. Do they have? Do they have mobile phones in Darwin? Do they have internet in Darwin? I'm I think sure they, they have. have in I think they have got it.
0: Dial up. I think.
1: Never dial up in Darwin. Um, yeah, yeah. Which would have been which would have been an interesting exercise. Coming Darwin down, dial up. Motor. <laughs> you would have had on your phone, holding me up to the microphone. Um,
2: Is it on yet?
1: Hello? <laughs> uh, but anyway, you have the, the glorious benefit, as I said, of, of, of another show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and you'll just miss out on October.
0: Yeah. So, now, let's get to the crux of the matter. Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Armchair Producers and we are doing our chain movie session. And last week, we watched... Lost in Translation, a uh, the sophomore effort for uh, director Sofia Coppola, sorry, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson with cameo by Anna Faris and um, Giovanni Ribitti as an extended cameo I guess. Um, he was our launching point for the next movie, the movie we are going to talk about this week which is Sam Raimi's 2000 offering The Gift which was written by Billy Bob Thornton starring Kate Blanchett with um, Keanu Reeves, Hilary Swank, J.K. Simmons, um, who else we got here? Greg, Greg Kinnear, um, Gary Cole. Yes. So there was a. There's a lot of famous faces in in this movie that's supposed to be a thriller slash supernatural horror ish thing. I mean, I don't quite know how I would. Particularly identify this movie Dramat beyond. Fantasy,
1: I think is what IMDb
0: says. I guess that's um, that's right. But so, um, should we uh, keep doing what we have been doing and actually go into the synopsis for it?
2: Anyway. I know.
1: We can read the synopsis of the film for those who didn't hear the film mm. uh, on Facebook. The film this week is the Gift, the 2000 mm. film, the Gift. A couple of people this week I was talked to about it were like, "Hang on a second how did you link that to the film you watched last week on Giovanni like, Rabisi? Now, like, hang on a second, he's not another gift of my No, no. The 2000 <laughs> film, not the yeah. 2015 Jolt. The uh, Sam Raimi film from 2000. So, a fortune Teller, with extra perception, is asked to help find a young woman who has mysteriously disappeared. Um, that sums it up really quick. You, you, um, you mentioned this last week. I had completely forgotten. That this film existed. Like, it was kind of <laughs> big at the time. Um, you yeah, know, that cast was, I mean, you might look at it and go, oh, they're we all young and up and coming, but they really, really weren't. Um, you had, uh, you know, Kate Blanchett headlining, mm-hmm. um, who has coming off films like Elizabeth, which I'm pretty sure she got nominated for an Oscar for. Mm-hmm. This this um, was
0: just before The Lord of the Rings, which obviously really skyrocketed at, uh, to newfound levels of also insanity.
1: Also Ripley, uh, mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves here, we're coming off the 90s, we had Speed, we had Point Break, we had yeah. Dracula. This know, was the was,
0: year after The Matrix.
1: So he was a big star, a mm-hmm. big star. Um, we had Giovanni Ribisi, who was kind of in his element.
2: Mm-hmm
0: um hillary swank was just right at the point where she had just come off of boys don't cry going into movies like um a couple of years after this she would do million dollar baby so yeah so this 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 had a lot of this this was a an interesting collection of very very talented people at an interesting time in their lives
1: absolutely katie holmes of course probably the notable one coming off Dawson's Creek at the time,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, uh, going back
1: way, way back was what she was sort of famous for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was certainly a big deal at the time with that cast. Uh, mm-hmm. Little did we know that it was as good as it was, and we had three different Oscar winners. Mm-hmm.
2: Kate
1: Blanchett has two Oscars. be mm-hmm. Swank has two Oscars, mm-hmm. and we have J.K. Simmons, also an Oscar
0: winner. Yeah, uh,
1: can you tell me, Mister Mister Tarrant, mm-hmm. what films did Kate Blanchett win her Oscars for?
0: Oh, now that's a, that's a good one. Um, hmm. Elizabeth?
1: He was nominated but did not win.
0: Okay. Uh, in that case, I have no clue. <laughs> he won
1: Best uh, Supporting for The Aviator and Best Performance by a Lead Actress in Blue Jasmine.
0: I would have possibly guessed Blue Jasmine. I couldn't remember the name of it, but mm, The Aviator. I'm not a big fan of that movie generally.
1: No, it's everyone, not that
0: great. Yeah. I think it's, it's
1: fine. I think um, this film is, is interesting. I guess the first thing it, it uh, mm. popped up to me was like, I mean, as you sort of said, it's a drama, fantasy. It has horror on IMDb. Mm. I didn't really get the horror elements, but I guess they're there. Mm. Um, is that the first thing that really stood out to me was Keanu Reeves um, playing massively against type in this mm-hmm. film. Like, I can't think of another Keanu Reeves film where he's played the bad guy or a, a bad guy. Yeah. Of some, or he's a villain of this piece. Ooh, you have to watch the film and find out, but um, mm-hmm. he's not a pleasant character in this
2: film.
0: No, he really isn't. And he all credit to him. He does a good job of making his character really unlikable.
2: Managing, um, isn't
0: he? Yeah. And it's, I don't, I don't know whether it's because it's so jarringly different to everything that we've seen um, of him up to that point in his career where you're right, I don't know if he has... He's not exactly got, if, if any, renowned, memorable bad guy roles. The um, only
1: thing I can think of with anything close to it is mm, Constantine, where he plays a very obvious anti-hero.
0: Um, but even then, no he's bad guy. yeah, and the, and that 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 story is kind of a story of his redemption as a character. Whereas this, there is none of that arc. It's... Um,
1: he was. It's it's really. I mean, today's world he's sort of akin to sort of a golden retriever, right? Like he's just like he's the nicest guy <laughs> going around. You know, everybody loves Keanu. but the shit when he came out. When he was going to be in Cyberpunk, everyone lost their yeah. lost their, their stuff um and you know he's beloved apparently mm. he his reputation for being one of the few nice guys in hollywood mm-hmm. So aside from that, even going back 20 years before you really built that rep um it's interesting you see him playing a genuinely menacing and revolting character in the sense here. Mm. so we of got a of the synopsis to start with we have kate blanchett playing annie wilson who is our our protagonist she's mm-hmm. a psychic she does readings at the back room of her house. She has three children, she's widowed.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: she's sort of beloved by the people who are the customers for want of a better term.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of her customers or, or people she helps out is Valerie Barksdale played mm-hmm. by Hilary, Hilary Swank, Swank. Who is, I think again, kind of a big deal at this point in time. She was coming mm-hmm. off um, Boys Don't Cry of a previous mm-hmm. year. Mm. Um, and, of course, let's not forget her, her turn as Carly Reynolds in Beverly Hills
0: 90210. Um, <laughs> no, let's forget Beverly Hills 90210, thank this
1: is you There's a mind. blunt and ridiculous there, from Beverly Hills to Boys do Cry, what a wonderful film that is, um, ahead of its time 21 years ago. Um, <laughs> and she plays Valerie Baxter with one of the most epic female mullets in a film, I, I can recall.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that. it's pretty impressive. that That would be very that would be perfectly set for um, a prog rock band like the the alternate reality version of the the saxophonist from um, Lost Boys. You know, that's that's the kind of hair that it was. It was impressive. He
1: plays ghetto redneck ghetto kind of really well, like mm. disturbingly well. Um, But she is married to Donnie Barksdale, played, as I sort of talked earlier, about Keanu Reeves. Mm -hmm. Keanu uh, is an abusive husband. Uh, Hilary Swank turns up to to one of her appointments with a truly epic um, black eye. Yeah. Um, Props to the uh, makeup department there. And essentially, Kate Blanchett's Annie is strongly encouraging Valerie to leave her husband before he kills her. Mm. Yeah, um, Donnie finds out he's not too pleased about this development and begins victimizing or basically um, stalking, you know, yep, abusing, victimizing, victimizing uh, Annie Wilson in any way he possibly can, calling her a witch and a Satanist to basically yeah. Yeah, make her life miserable and try and convince her to stop seeing Valerie.
0: Mm. In one of the, so the most fact- chilling sequences of that is where he stops one of her kids and just like he's just in his truck just talking to this this young boy and it's like that's genuinely chilling and Keanu does it so fucking well really impressed with him.
1: it really is again just sort of go how he's genuinely menacing in a role mm. we, we don't normally see Keanu uh, we've never seen Keanu in before or since um Not really yeah. against the background of this we have um other sort of prominent people in the city in the town mm. uh Greg Kinnear plays mm. the school principal his kids go to, mm. and he's engaged to be married to Jessica King, who is from one of the, is the most finest families in the town.
2: Yes. Mm.
1: And played by <laughs> Katie Holmes. Yeah. Katie Holmes goes missing. Mm-hmm. And hence, we have the drama of this film as they try and track down what happened mm-hmm. to Jessica. Um, and in their desperation, um, the King family uh, turn to um, Annie to see if her psychic abilities can lead them to dying. any solutions. Yeah, any, which,
2: so, which, I, which
1: does happen, I believe, in actual police investigations from time to time.
0: Well, they, you know, I've heard people kind of that there's there's stories of psychics that like, "Oh, yes, I helped find this this killer or that," and things like that, sort like, did you really or, because that's also kind of the one of the the, the juxtaposing principles of this jk Sims, who um plays the sheriff of this town he is from the get-go very very um very much a disbeliever of annie Wilk, wilkins characters abilities um and it is firmly a, a pressurization from um jessica king's father um that she, the the family connection is the only reason that she gets brought into it because he, in a great scene, there's lots of great little scenes in there where um, Annie Wilkins is in the sheriff's office and he's just listening to her talk about how she has this had this premonition dream of seeing Jessica King's body um, floating in a tree, wrapped in chains and he's really not paying attention. He starts asking, talking to one of his other sheriffs About a chocolate éclair that's gone missing out of the tub and stuff, he really, you know, he does his due diligence. Okay, well, we'll kind of look into it because that sort of sounds like a possible location that I might know about. And at at this point, I've got no leads, so fuck it, I need to be pursuing every lead. But he plays it so well. Of, I don't believe you have this ability, but it's a thought. Fuck it, I've got nothing else. Yeah.
1: It is interesting in a sense you kind of expect the scene to go one way. You sort of Mm. expect it to be, you know, he at that point in time has sort of come across very much as the God fearing redneck police chief of a small town. Mm. And, you know, he obviously has gives no credence to her abilities and what she can do. Mm. But and that's where the fitness scene starts, but that's not where the scene ends.
2: Mm.
1: And you sort of see it start to move halfway through where she starts sort of throwing things up and going well who lives in this place who lives next door to that person you go
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know um and you can sort of see jk simmons sort of start sort of in, a, in, a, in one scene journey from being a complete skeptic to being going what harm can it do
2: yeah
0: yeah it it does a good job of kind of explaining a lot of the, the investigative thinking that goes into a lot of um this fortune teller premonitions kind of thing they look at they look at things in this way of trying to narrow things down to you know um people who you know i don't know if it's a real power or not but people who don't have the power will try and lean into like oh i heard about this so they lead the investigation that way but
1: you you don't believe in suffix
0: um I've not seen any evidence to suggest that it is something that is controllable in any way, shape, or form. I believe that there is a possibility for it, but in my personal life, no, mm, I don't. I haven't seen any evidence for or against it particularly. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you believe you want.
1: Damn right. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm with you here. So this is um, this is where it gets interesting. Mm. We, we uh, start to chase down the body, and yes, so it lives next door to where. He's had this premonition, it turns out mm-hmm. it's Donnie Barksdale's property-based search, and mm-hmm. we'll go from there. Uh, other characters at play here is Giovanni Rabisi's uh, buddy, who is a troubled young man who sees
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, Annie for assistance with his problems, for want of a better term. Um, and probably we have a big name in here being Gary Cole, who plays the local DA, who ends up um, prosecuting the case when uh, things start getting serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they discover what might have happened to Jessica. Yeah. This is a pretty style, yeah. right? Like, yeah. this is not a particularly original screenplay or idea. Um, there's not a lot of original ideas at play here. Mm. What really makes this film stand out from what would be just another stock B film about psychics mm. is the cast. Yep. and to a lesser extent, I would say the directing by Sam Raimi. If you don't know who Sam Raimi is, uh you been? He was responsible for Evil Dead, Evil Dead. Sorry, the Spider Man movies
2: mm-hmm.
1: dragged me to hell. But you know, Spider Man and Evil Dead are probably the why he's best known. Hmm. Um, and I mean, just the, the the quality of performances on display here. We've already talked about Keanu's turn as a as a you know repulsive wife beating misogynist asshole mm-hmm. redneck. But we also have a really convincing performance by Kate Blanchett who plays manages to play a character that's both vulnerable um, and in danger, but at the same time doesn't take a backward step when it comes she has a line, right? She has a line mm-hmm. in the sand. Yeah. And despite the fact she she, you know, she, she's in danger for a lot of it and really gets beaten around a lot in this film. Not yeah. necessarily literally very literally sometimes. Yeah. Um, so she has a stand a line in the sand you sort of mentioned earlier there's a scene where Donnie threatens her kids inside her house and she just stands she jumps right in front of him
2: mm-hmm. between
1: her and him it's like did you gotta get out of my house blah 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 yeah. and it's it's a wonderful turn from kate where she sort of goes yeah you know, into you know protective mode but a mother's can do yeah um, and it's she's she's at the peak of her powers and and it's gone absolutely it's, it's absolutely a, a really wonderful performance it's a very nuanced and layered performance of of Annie, who has a lot of different things going on. And I don't know if a script does that. I just think she does that.
0: That's, I I absolutely agree. I think that um, just as a story, most of the characters are very generic. Um, the way that they are, that they feel like they were written, the dialogue that they are actually speaking is very, very stereotype, stereotype, stereotype but the actors that they get in there breathe so much more life into them and they feel like these um they, the the the, <laughs> the of johnny barksdale he's there's more to him because of the way that keanu plays him um annie wilkins character could be a very very stereotypical um supernaturally imbued Um, female protagonist but there's again more on on show here even going into the abused wife Hilary Swank the police chief um, they all have more in them in these character bits these quiet little moments where it's just two good quality actors just playing off of each other I think that's what really saves this
1: you, you, you said it, like, I mean, it's ridiculous how little screen time they give a performer like Hilary Swank in this film. Yeah. Um, hello to Sher- Friend of Sherpatria is on Facebook. Hello to you. Hope life is good in Bendigo um, and around the Bendigo area. Um, excitement Central, Bendigo. It's um, a little bit like the uh, the town that the film this week is set in. It's um, regional and dull. <laughs> um, and, uh, and they probably don't take kindly to your um, because you're a, a witch or something. Um, no, you're right. They are very, very, very stereotypical characters. And like, particularly Hilary Swank, is she owns every scene she's in. I'd say, mm-hmm. right, Giovanni Ribisi does what Giovanni Ribisi generally does. Yeah. Um, he really, he kind of specialised in playing, um, kind of damaged, um, uh, yeah. sort of borderline sort of young men with you know with anger issues um, and yeah. uh, no difference here. Uh he's does what he does and like
0: uh it's interesting he
1: got second billing on this film.
0: Yeah. Um I don't quite know why. I guess because he is
1: you're not a witch but you want to be careful practicing out medicine stuff because the people in Vinegogat might think you are. Sorry to interrupt you.
0: <laughs> um, no, I was just saying that being in second, He's kind. I guess there's there's an element of the story, the way that the story, the narrative goes. You're offered up. The audience is offered up a few red herrings of who could be the um, the person responsible for Jessica King's disappearance. The obvious one is Keanu Reeves, and that does very much feel like. The obvious bait and switch, but then you are shown this character of Giovanni Ribisi's buddy, where he is very clearly dealing with a lot of psychological trauma and he is unstable. And um, you see that, and he is incredibly protective of um, uh, Annie Wilkins, uh, Wilson. And you they try, I think, to play with the idea that maybe he is protecting her. He maybe he sees. The way that Annie and um, Wayne were looking at each other and that was also noted by um, Annie's friend, Linda, played by Kim Dickens, that there was sparks there. Maybe he was trying to get
2: of someone
0: uh, just to to get her, give her a little bit of happiness or whatever. He there's there's a lot of possibilities of oh is he the real killer and that's where the emotional heartbreak comes in that it's this person that she's been trying to help for for so long and he has snapped things like that. And then obviously you get the true ending and it's like, oh okay, that's eh. It's it's yeah, not it as is an...
1: bit, it is a bit meh. I'll, yeah. I'll give it. It's um. I don't think it, I mean, I think, again, it would count against the film if you went back and watched it today, mm. how stereotypical and predictable it is in mm. a lot of ways. Like, we are get fed how horrible Keanu Reese's character is, so you are certain it's not him who did it, because it's mm. so damn obvious, you're not, you're not stupid, right? Um yeah. So, there aren't a whole lot of better twists in it. Um, mm. uh So, <laughs> Um, so I have people on my stream giving, uh, being, being, and uh, distracting me from
0: my uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, gig- Don't they realise we're professionals?
1: We are professionals, and we do a professional <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, you, you, I think the, the, in the end, you'll find the, the twist unsatisfying. But yeah. I suspect it is was really interesting for me to go back and um, and take a look at a film I completely forgotten existed. <laughs> uh, and it a wonderful cast of characters uh and, cast of actors i should say yeah. really um'm bringing it like i mean and for me i guess the, the standout he was jk simmons simply because mm-hmm. i think when this came out he probably would have been best known for his tv work only um on law and order right
0: probably I, I mean it's it's since like this came out just before spider-man which really helped elevate the attention that jk Simmons was getting because he was so good as j jonah jameson and so good in fact that you know they bring him back in the the current spider-man universe and of course he he won his oscar for his performance in whiplash which is just terrifyingly brilliant so it's it's interesting to just see that this as as a bit of a genesis point for for him when you see Kind of just where he's he's gone from it, it's impressive. Uh,
1: and um, yeah, he was way down the, the list of people who were um, who were uh, you know a, a building his film. Yeah. Um, you know, many people like. I, mean, I mean, I think I mentioned it last week, but Giovanni Ribisi in the early two thousands. Um, <laughs> people are questioning us whether we're professionals or not. I'm I'm, Unbelievable. I'm offended and upset and and, and hurt. <laughs> um that, that insinuation. I resemble that remark. Um but Giovanni was gonna be a star. He was gonna be, he was gonna be a big star. Um, yeah, and it didn't happen. No. Um it's a shame. I, I think he was a an actor of some ability. Um but yeah, I can't remember I can't think of the last thing I saw him in might have been Avatar. And that's yeah,
2: ten years maybe. Ago.
1: Yeah. he was in tech there you go that was that was nine years
2: ago because
0: okay. um, yeah, this this was the same year that um he had a busy two thousand he had boiler room, which is an underrated little classic gone in sixty seconds, and the gift so it's but when you look at him, he's like, okay, he plays the kind of unbalanced bit of a fuck up in all of them <laughs>
1: um yeah, I guess maybe he just had to like. Work- Did him in the end. I mean, he was also in Friends for eight years. Um, Yeah, he was. um, If you're on that Friends money, um, you know. Yeah,
0: that's true. You
1: need to be working. Um, And I imagine he's going to be in all the Avatar sequels, apparently. So um, Mm -hmm. we will see and wait. And can you? There's an interesting story Avatar, the second highest grossing film of all time, has virtually no pop culture presence anymore.
0: Not really. It died off pretty pretty quickly after it got out of the cinema and made as It was sort of like, okay, this is the start of the 3D revolution, which never happened. Um, and the on, only really Zoe Saldana is the one to have gone on to do kind of bigger, better things because of the MCU. Really, um, you know, Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver was already a cinema icon. Before, and um, Michelle Rodriguez, and, yes, Michelle
1: Rodriguez, friend of the show that we are uh, focused
0: yeah. on uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but um, in this she's playing very safely within. A yeah. very if we're so s- notably,
1: we did Girlfight yeah. a few weeks ago, she she doesn't stray far from mm. her strong points. I mean, if Sam Worthington was going to be a bit of a star after her, he did the Terminator film. Afterwards, and you're like, yeah, uh, what have you done, Sam? What have you done? mate uh old mate sam hasn't done a whole fucking lot
0: yeah what he really? he had he had a moment and it just didn't
2: happen
1: i assume he's gonna be in the sequels so i guess so yeah would, would like to sam you'll be getting that uh yeah that carol Co money um <laughs> <laughs> we've gone off the topic, again. Off the topic. Um, now i i enjoyed watching it it was it was a fun step back 20 years and yeah. It's not a particularly demanding film. It's there. It doesn't sing. Mm. It gets out. It's not too long. Yeah. Um, and if, if it, the greatest criticism I can have of a film is it's not the strongest twist ending I've ever seen. Um, Recording. we do doing okay.
0: Recording.
1: Sorry, carry on. I'll just say the yep. twist ending probably not the worst. Um, Bad twist ending is not the worst day. That's where's true. Chris says, where's Dustin Hoffman these days? Dustin Hoffman, I assume he's like sleeping with many beautiful women on silk sheets. Um,
0: he was making uh, yeah. Kung Fu Panda money for a while.
1: He's a bit like cowboy money, I would imagine, you know. and People saying, <laughs> I'm walking here, I'm walking here. Every time um, you do that, he gets royalties. He gets royalties every time someone does that. We're paying him this. He's getting on a wow. bit.
0: I'm shocked. Dustin Hoffman has only been credited as actor in 84 features, according yeah. to IMDB.
2: Yeah. He'd be it's, in his 80s.
0: Yeah. And his next project is As Sick As They Made Us. So really fun, cheerful stuff, I think. But yeah. Um, yeah. Now, more important question, Travis. Oh it my is God, your turn. directed
1: by Blossom. Huh? That film's going to be directed by Mame Bialik best known
0: as Blossom. (laughs) Well, modern people probably go, oh, that's uh, Sheldon's girlfriend. Big Bang Theory. But yeah, it's
1: got Candace Bergen in it, for almighty, Mm -hmm. and digging up the corpses of that film. (laughs) Um, Where do we go from a gift? You've left me with very, very few avenues out of this film. I know, so few options. Veritable death machine. um, No. of uh, of our exit points um and it was actually really difficult because my initial thought was okay we're going to office space with Derek cole um mm-hmm. but like listening to me a lot about office space for 40 minutes probably wouldn't be a lot of fun for our vast <laughs> viewership <laughs> and listenership out there vast um so that kind of got parked okay. i did think about going somewhere really bad um mm. But, so we've been treated a little bit here. Okay. I was thinking about going to before, um four, but uh, let's okay. not say okay. we did. Yeah. Uh, so in the end, I've chosen the four, well, I'm going to pick something that's going to be interesting for me. So a film that's been on my to-do list for some time, mm-hmm. uh, G'day Sarah, who's watching at home. You're about to see what the next uh, chain film is for next week. A film I've been thinking about seeing, and somehow I managed to skip this and I have not seen it. And you mentioned it earlier. We're going to go watch uh, J.K. Simmons in Whiplash.
0: Oh, you've not seen Whiplash. I've okay.
1: never seen Whiplash. one of those things to be like, I'll get around to that. I'll get around to it at some point. But okay. um, this this will offer us that opportunity.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: it's directed by Damien Chazelle. I think it La La Land and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so other bizo so, uh, ten, ten
0: Cloverfield and,
1: Lane. Don't mention the man behind the curtain. Um and also stars Miles Teller who so if George doesn't take us to Fantastic Four next week, I'm gonna be a disappointed man.
0: Uh well you just spoiled it, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Melissa Ben Benoit, so I think he's Supergirl. Yep. Uh, um unfortunately it's a TV show, so we can't um
0: mm.
1: can't watch. But there's garbage. Paul
0: ricer Oh that could take Hell us to yeah, Beverly Hills yeah. cop.
1: Oh, so but it's, it's it's a little bit more limited next week, but I have confidence in you that Go we will on. find a way out of that. Um,
0: I will find something. <laughs>
1: uh, but I'm, I was, I'm very excited to see uh, to see Whiplash because it's the film that won J.K. Simmons Academy Award mm-hmm. uh, and kind of really took him from, I guess, best being known, as I said, did a lot of S for you, Law and Order S for you for me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: one of my favourite shows. But also, you he, he sort of said, he was J. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Well, mm-hmm. um, that was really a bit part, wasn't? It? Uh, and um, well,
0: in in the Raimi Spider Man stuff, he definitely had uh, certainly in the first one and a half, he had a yeah you know, a good amount. Like there was, you know, there was that kind of infamous uh, scene where he's being tortured kind of lamely by the. Green Goblin, and it's like, oh, it that uh, the photographer that takes pictures of Spider-Man. I don't know. And he shows some level of integrity for his position, but at the same time, he's also hor- horrible. <laughs> he's very good at being horrible.
1: He, he really did elevate himself with his role, into being. Mm. you know, I mean, winning an Academy Award does make you a,
2: uh, mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't say marketable, but certainly a prestige, a little yeah. prestige to, to an actor's performance.
0: Absolutely. Um, so,
1: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. I can't believe it's from seven years old. I've
0: never seen it. I know, it's weird, eh? It's weird.
1: Uh, Whiplash will be our chain movie mm-hmm. for next week.
0: Yeah. Now, should we go, should we go on, on to. the
1: our next semi regular yeah. uh, segment.
0: Yeah, WandaVision. And
1: then, yes, us, us drooling over WandaVision.
0: Yes. So, WandaVision episode six came out and. It seems to be a new
1: Halloween spectacular.
0: Yeah. So it seems to be very much kicking into gear now, um, and firing on all cylinders for pretty much every MCU fan. Now those who struggled through the first couple of episodes, didn't like the way that it was, they're really kind of getting, getting at the, the meat and potatoes of the, the, the story. Now As more and more things get introduced. Obviously this one, was the first episode where we get to actually experience Wanda dealing with the reintroduction of Pietro into her life, played by Evan Peters. Of course, pl- um, the classic line now from end of episode 5 where um, uh, Kat Dennings Darcy says they, she recast Pietro. Very funny line very poignant and it just leads to some wonderful again i was talking this seems to be our ongoing thing of just scenes where quality actors get to play off of each other and just add these extra layers that aren't necessarily there in the script and i'm talking in particular about a sequence where it's halloween and everyone's got all these costumes and in wonderful nod to the comics vision is dressed up in his original visage green with yellow cape and still his red face and the um, the diamond on his forehead and Wanda vision uh, Wanda is in her original scarlet witch kind of outfit but they kind of play it off nicely by kind of saying oh that's a Sokovian witch co- costume uh, yeah and um, oh Mexican wrestler for, for the vision and stuff' so I'm like yeah but we know the truth. It's it's that's a fun little nod of bringing in these other universes into this one one play area. The I mean, um,
1: split between between Vision and Wanda starts to really stretch mm, here in mm. the sense that like he comes downstairs, Vision comes downstairs, and he's like, "Oh, you dressed up?" And he goes, "That was all that was in my closet this morning." Mm. And then we see him make up an excuse to uh, skip trick or treating or whatever it is they're up to, and mm. spend that time in this episode exploring the outer limits. Yes. Of, um the town of Westview. Um which is kinda cool, right? It was it was a really interesting idea. If you haven't, I should probably stop you right here. if you wanna watch One Division and you haven't watched episode six, there will be spoilers from here for the next, you know, five, ten minutes or so. So uh put us on mute. Do not switch us off because that'd be bad. Yeah, and you'll stick around.
0: Uh, <laughs> I I do love but how we, this this idea we've we've been of playing in these these areas similarly and it's funny how these these kind of ideas come around the like we talked about the 13th floor and how you reach the edge of that and stuff like that and that's kind of what's happening with wanders westview and so like the you further you um, get let me video games
1: right so the way video mm. games are obviously they won't draw the entire playing space if you're in Red Dead Redemption 2. It doesn't mm. draw the whole map. It only draws as far as you can get you know, the draw distance, right? What yeah. you can see around. And so the only thing that essentially in a video game exists is your field of view. Yeah. So it doesn't—it saves processing space by not drawing the stuff that's, you know, two kilometres away that you can't hmm. see. Which is kind of what we experience here with Wanda and, and hmm. Vision, sort of getting to the outer outskirts of um, at Westview and finding that the people in those areas uh, are basically either frozen or moving in, you know, repetitive, minimal ways.
0: Yeah. Literally NPC in the distance kind of role.
1: And sort of to sort of preserve, almost, you get, I mean, we don't know, but it's almost to preserve Wanda's processing power.
0: Well, uh, I mean, the way that it ends and, you know, again, spoilers, Vision pushes his way through the barrier and... We get the reveal in this episode that both kids have got um have got superpowers of different var- varieties. Um, one of them kind of feels and hears vision dying essentially, and so Wanda expands her thing, and it's like okay, this this throws up a lot of interesting theories because we're talking about there was a conversation where there's Pietro and Wanda just sitting on this um bale of hay and they're talking and he he comments saying that what you're doing here is incredible this is not you messing with one person's mind you have taken over an entire town and you're dealing with the ethical ramifications really well you're keeping families together keep uh, personalities generally in line and what did you do with all these kids <laughs> and this is um a ramping up of potentially if someone is doing this manipulating wanda pushing her limits, pushing her abilities further and further. And we see a physical example of that. It's a very well-written story.
1: Uh, I also, I actually heard was at least one reference this week that I got that I didn't have to have someone tell me, mm. um, I'm like, ah, I understood that reference. Um, <laughs> where, um, Tommy responds to Big Silver's suggestion of creating mischief by saying, kick ass, which one then <laughs> repeats, kick ass. And you like, yeah. ah, I understood that one <laughs> because the original Pietro played by Aaron Taylor-Johnson was kick-ass and then, of course, Evan Peters was in that film, kick-ass as well. So mm-hmm. that was a nice little, well, very obvious nod um, um, to, to that, that film, which is, you know, a little bit more obvious than I normally get to. Mm-hmm. What did you make of this week's commercial?
0: That was messed up.
1: <laughs> well, basically the, um, the, the, my, my, my friend and I, who I've been watching it with, um, a little variety if she's watching, um, we watch it. we've been watching it together, and we watched that one, and we're like, okay, look, I got the Hydra references in the other ones, but this one, I got no idea what that
0: was about. The, the whole advert was just messed up. Yeah. Like, just... If I, 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 I didn't get the reference and I haven't looked into it because I want to, once the whole thing is um, released, I want to go through and watch the whole thing. Binge- oh, I
2: definitely watch think
0: watch the whole
1: thing Binge-worthy. Yeah. Um, uh, Theresa says, hi, Brody, uh, or Bridie, even, uh, greeting, and Brody is watching, so Bridie and I were a little confused. I have read some fan theories mm. um, about what that might be, and I won't spoil mm. your brain with them because they're in mine. Mm. This is definitely one I, I, I think will be well worth. But once it's finished, mm. down and watch. Once all the pieces are uh, you know, in the open, you'll be like, "Ah, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know it is just, that? Mm. bit was was a thing." I I thought honestly, and I wonder what you thought. As soon as um Vision pushed through the boundary, it would drop dead.
0: I was half expecting that, but the um the conversation that came through in sort of like the the real world, shall we call it, of um the blood work for um, Monica Rambeau coming back and saying that it has been rewritten and Wanda is literally rewriting DNA to incorporate it and into into um, into her world. Um, it made me go, oh, okay, so there's something, it's not just a visual illusion that she is manifesting reality. It is not illusion, it is reality that she is changing. And so, the the power the ability because vision ran off of the um the mind stone he doesn't have that anymore just kind of running off of the spare juice of wander at this point so it brings up this interesting theory for me of he is starting to wake up and realize that he is trapped but he is heroically saying save the people not him um, but he's also, if however this comes, he's potentially going to feel like he's trapped. If he wants to keep living, if he has to leech off of her, if the shit that she's doing and the, the you know the ramifications of it, how that plays out, if he's going to be able to say, okay, I still love you, or no, you went too far. But if I want to keep going, I have no choice but to hang around to you to stay alive. That's an interesting conundrum to be in.
1: Um, I've heard you did mention this section where uh, they talk about Monica's DNA changing. Mm. Uh, I again, fan theories abound. Nobody knows, but there's been talk is this having these mutants. Um, to the MCU,
0: I don't think we will hear anything about mutants. I think it will still remain much like how they referred to in um, Age of Ultron as enhanced. If Someone on this show uses the word mutant, then all bets are off. But that word has been, was the one that kind of was the big holdup. We weren't allowed they, to use that word. That yeah. Beltran, exactly. It. Yeah. So when they actually use that word, that's the trigger being pulled. And it'll be interesting to see how and when that happens.
1: Uh, Julian, I'm assuming that is a uh, Dark Knight reference. Uh, says, Look at me! Um, uh, I am a fan of his Ledger awesome. <laughs>
2: um,
1: No, this is. Um, I enjoyed this episode very much, um, and mm. uh, the, uh I enjoyed very much the way all the uh, sword people, once the boundary expanded, or turned into clowns. Mm. Uh, I also enjoyed very much the fan theory that potentially Cat Dennings. Now, if she's being sucked into the Hex, may actually end up betraying her character from Two Bro Girls.
0: <laughs> That'd be weird. That'd that would be, be super fucking meta. That, yep. That's, uh, if, if there's a show that's happy about going meta, it's this one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, we've got three episodes to go.
1: Yep. Yep. Just three. Uh, and then I think very nicely. So that's going to be, sleeves. I think, the week after this, after the show concludes, we will get the first episode of um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier.
0: Yeah, because there was, uh, with the Super Bowl, there was a new trailer for that. Still not interested in it myself. I think the trailer looks distinctly
1: generic. Hmm. I mean, that said, you're not going to do a show as surreal as WandaVision again, mm. especially not with those characters who are straight ahead. I mean, I kind of got a, like an A-Team kind of vibe, like, yeah. you know, action real-oriented action-oriented. I'm like, mm. after a show as different and original as WandaVision, you're like a, a revision to superheroes punching shit and stuff blowing up,
0: mm. okay? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think. It is going to very much be an action show whereas this one is not it is not an action show but I think you're going to get some action later on as things continue to progress but yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting because you've got this and then you've got um Falcon and Winter Soldier which looks like it's potentially going to be a bit more in line with um Captain America's Winter Soldier epic Kind of espionage and action kind of thing, almost like a. Um, oh God, what's a that action espionage writer's name? Um, Tom, Clancy. Tom Clancy. Yeah, Tom Clancy esque kind of thing, I imagine. And then you've got two other shows: you've got Hawkeye and you've got Loki. And Loki looks like it's going to be another kind of weird and odd, unusual one. And the Hawkeye one it seems to be focusing much more on the. Younger Hawkeye character, so you've got four very different kind of vibes of show, which is nice to see them playing.
1: But in and maybe in the monks somewhere, they might have to um
2: mm-hmm.
1: think about dropping Black Widow,
2: though
1: mm-hmm. I know they don't want to, but um, you know, they, they may have, have no them.
0: choice, yeah. You should mm-hmm. see how they hold out, um, how mm-hmm. long they hold out in on that one,
1: yeah, um, unless
0: but- it is. Sorry, I was just going to say, unless um, it is a the first truly standalone story of the MCU where it doesn't actually have any follow-on ramifications, you might get other characters that survive that can be brought into it. But you know, if it is truly standalone, it doesn't matter when it drops in the phase. They can just they can hold on to it. But if it's so like revelations come at the end of Black Widow that are Kind of teased or anything like that in any of the other stuff that's coming out around it, it messes with the timeline of all of that stuff as well. It's going to be—it's uh, going to be curious.
1: But um, if you aren't on board with one division, mm. I think it's two again. Now six weeks in a row, mm-hmm. that's two thumbs up. I think from this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will go back to what we told the chick from America who was on Twitch the other week. If you're not up with your MCU, it's going to be less fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're missing an episode here or there, you know, if you go back and watch it, if you've got time, or just watch one of those catch-up videos on YouTube um, probably... Absolutely them, agree. Making a whole bunch of them on there telling you, how, yeah. or, you know, what happened in the MCU till now. Um, because I, this week, actually went back and watched The Age of Ultron. Yes. Um, the second Avengers movie, uh, just because this film kind of seems to reference that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a film that I absolutely haven't thought about since I saw it. Um, yeah. Since it came, it 2015? Is it really? Uh, yeah, 2015, so wow. six years ago. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to go back and watch it again with the, you know, post-Infinity uh, Wars, Endgame and WandaVision and sort of see mm. how it stacks up. Because I think my memory takeaway from it, we probably saw it together, mm. um, was that it was Certainly weaker than the original twenty twelve Avengers movie. Yes, um, and kind of a bit of a bit of a letdown, but like not a massive disaster of a film, but just not
0: mm. yeah, not great. I think um, the the flaws of of the movie upon release still remain quite pertinent and true. Is it's trying to set up too much stuff for the future, and you know you. Getting paid dividends now because you can kind of reference back to them with stuff like WandaVision, and you can use it more like that. Um, but kind of the, the Ragnarok slash hell stuff of Thor was just a huge chunk of information that slowed the pace of the, the narrative totally, and they didn't really use that, they, they completely kind of retold that yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I, I, I texted you before we started recording and the two things that really stood out to me was mm. the the action set pieces in these are better than we remember. Mm. Like, um, if, if someone said to you, what's the best car chase sequence in a Marvel film? And maybe you would think the car chase sequence in Black Panther or maybe, maybe in Civil War or something like that. I seriously mm. doubt many people would nominate Age of Ultron, but the mm. car chase sequence between... Where Black Widow drops out of a helicopter on a motorcycle and uh, and Captain America's chasing down Ultra, It's really good. Like the action set pieces is missed. Uh, every bit as good as the action set pieces. I think for the most part, as the original Avengers film, maybe mm-hmm. not. I mean, maybe even the two later Avengers films. But I think where it's missing on the later Avengers films and the early one is the emotional resonance and that we don't really care quite so much. Yeah. Uh, for everything James Spade, uh, sorry, um, James Spader, am I giving that name right? Yeah. Um, James Spader brings to Ultron like he brings a lot to Ultron. Like I mean, the fact <laughs> that they went out and got someone with such a distinctive voice to play him yeah. was a wonderful selection by by the people who made it. And I don't really want to say it, but I'm going to have to and say Joss chose well.
2: Mm, um,
1: yeah. Getting James Spader because mm-hmm. he really. I mean, he could If you gone out and you got, you know, I don't. Pick a dinkage or something to do with voice, um, you know, like, um, or Nolan North or something, I don't know, like it just wouldn't have worked quite as well. But he's such got such a distinctive way of speaking, and it's like he, he can exude yeah. menace, yeah, in without necessarily being menacing, if that makes sense. Um, whereas you know, Darth Vader it sounds like scary as shit when you know, like, and and menace it's terrifying, right? But james it's a different kind of, it's different kind of um, evil or menace. That he brings there's to the a table.
0: slyness to it. Um, yeah. Is he's like that. Ultron's yeah. not much of a villain. Not you know. really, no.
1: So, I mean, that, that, that hurts. We've we talked at length before about Marvel's villains and how they rarely sort of stack up. Um, mm. And this is another occasion. So the action set pieces here are as strong as anything else in the Marvel universe. Where mm-hmm. they are weak, and you nailed it correctly, is the each film is massively bogged down. Mm-hmm. Maybe a half hour, forty minutes of setups for other movies, and you yeah. you noted that Ragnarok one. I remember when I saw it, I had no idea what was going on. I think you got it. I remember mm-hmm. you saying, "Oh, that's Ragnarok coming." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, "I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's supposed to be." And you know, once Ragnarok came out, a year or two later, you're like, "It's a fucking great movie." But- yeah. Obviously, they went out and they got Taika Waititi, who has his own distinctive style of mm. doing things, and did his own thing with um, Ragnarok. And in a almost Ryan Johnson-esque move, basically said, "Yeah, fuck that! I'm going to do my own thing." Yeah. Um, and <laughs> more power to him because it was great. Yeah, you look at that you look at that in hindsight and you go, "Okay, here's the setup from Joss Whedon in Ultron, and here's the Taika Waititi. From- there's there's almost zero connection between the two. And it is fucking shoved into this um, film forcefully into mm. place. It doesn't. It just doesn't fit. And mm. it's like, oh, hang on a second. I had a dream, but like this witch gave me what? It, what? Why the fuck does he have to then go fly halfway around the world and see Stella garden? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. So this. Set, I mean, I remember again. We talked about this when it came out. The setup for all the other films that was had to do is mm. to set up so much other shit um and i feel and at the time i remember being quite sympathetic to the, what was expected of joss whedon we want you to make an exciting action movie that's every bit as fun as the first one but it's got to set up all these other films mm. um i have zero sympathy for joss Whedon now much like, he could go fuck mm. himself mm. um but <laughs> it's uh it's it, it certainly weakens the film it's too long mm. it's much too long
0: i think that's one of the biggest issues for me is this movie there's it, it falls into similar problem of bad guy as iron man 2 did where it's like okay it's ultron is the son of iron man kind of they're playing with that a little bit and it's like oh it's another iron man clone and they're just they're fighting tons and tons of robots like okay there's no emotional investment in that and they're the two enhanced people they don't get used enough and they're throwing all this stuff in and no one's stories really get a chance to shine there's no real empathy with anyone the kind of the best line in the movie in my opinion is kind of where um clint barton jeremy renner stops wander from fucking with his mind and so like i've done that i'm not doing it again because that's that was a quite a mess of line because he hated the fact that he was so looking forward to playing hawkeye in avengers uh in avengers and then was robbed of that character for most of the movie (laughs) it's like yeah i was training and practicing and i didn't get to play the character until the last 35 minutes
1: a lot of good good lines in this film he's actually i Mm -hmm. think possibly the most likable character of the avengers in the film it's like again you look at this again in hindsight and you, you filter that through who we saw him turn into in Endgame and then you know, and that kind of thing. You know, mm. we turned into ninja fucking Hawkeye, and you're like, man, they actually really fucked up by not giving him a movie. Mm. I guess in hindsight, it's actually gonna work out quite well for now, because given the state the movie industry is in, had it been a Hawkeye movie sitting in the can alongside the Black Widow movie in a can, mm. um, that, the TV show actually is probably the perfect place for him right now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so excited to see what he does with it, because um, there's a lot to his character. Mm. Um, And we haven't even seen, just by this point in time, we knew there was a lot to this character. And we hadn't even seen the best bit yet, which of course um, was that scene in in Endgame between him and Natasha. Um, Yeah. So, this film, I would actually say, probably, a little bit you're reminding me of, is um, when, when Picard came out last year, Star Trek Picard was all like, oh, this sort of thing, all this shit happened in Star Trek Nemesis, and you're like, oh! Has anybody gone back and watched Star Trek Nemesis in the last mm. twenty years? I know I haven't, Yeah. And I'm not about to. Um, I did. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it painful. Um, yeah. So it was a bit like, oh, okay, that's an interesting. I hadn't thought about that for a very long time, and I don't really remember what happened in that film. Mm. Um, this is a less, you know, extreme example of that because it's only six years ago, and you know, I didn't dislike that film quite as much. This film, anywhere near as much.
2: But
1: <laughs> you're like, so I mean, even like. When Hulk ended up on whatever planet Ragnarok was on, I'm like, hang on a second. Scarlet.
2: How,
1: How did he get there again? I don't really remember because I just completely blacked this film out of my memory. Mm. And the scene at the end where the, the, the Quinjet is taking off into space and it lands where it lands. Um, so, <laughs> it gets it was,
0: across space
1: somehow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's, it was an interesting... I was, I'm glad I went back and watched it again. It fresh mm. my, refreshed my memory a little bit. But I mean, if you're going to go back and watch an Avengers film, it's probably the one I would at least recommend.
0: It's it's strange because, like, it sets up a lot of stuff and it introduces um, the enhanced characters on a much more genuine level than you know they're blinking. You'll miss them in uh, at the end of the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, um, but. <laughs> Yeah, it just kind of feels like, all right, they have vastly improved their writing team going forwards. They, like, every single movie that came out after this was overall stronger and a more solid, solid form of a movie, but they were still able to feed into everything that happened in uh, Infinity War and Endgame and still moving forwards beyond that. And I feel like this was.
1: This is I a don't transition. Like it's like just yeah. got them over. Just open the door. Yeah. Uh, now, like, I mean, for all we we all know, what if you've been paying any attention to the news, mm. you know what's going on in the world of Joss Whedon? And like I said, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. But credit was due, the first Avengers film was great. Yeah, it he is a legitimate it, classic. And he got it across the line. He got it. He opened the door, and he was like, people were like, you can't do a superhero team up film. No one can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did and it was great and it made a shit ton of money which you know basically flew with, swung the doors open for the rest of the MCU he yeah. got through a door but I think what Age of Ultron showed he was not the man to carry the ball from there mm. they needed to go out and get better writers I think from that point in time who maybe understood something apart from smart ass remarks and action sequence which is yeah the, it's been I think that's where we've landed with, with just, um,
2: I think so uh, yeah
1: uh, and you're right I remember going the
2: Russo brothers,
0: who was fucking playing? I remember uh, hearing the Russo brothers, and there was um years before they play. Uh, they did a movie with George Clooney called "Welcome to Collingwood," and I remember before its release, it was so heavily lauded. People were kind of saying, "Oh my god, it's amazing! These guys really know their shit." It came out, like fucking tanked. People hated it. They didn't get it. I want to go back and watch that movie now, just to see if I. Kind of get it more because I've experienced more of their stuff, I've watched a bit more of community and that sort of stuff. But yeah, look, when they got announced, it's like, Really, those guys? I barely even know who they are. <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that they got handed the keys
2: to mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, oh, so fucking game and Infinity War, you're like, I remember you and I little getting the, the cast list when initially Infinity War got announced. You're like, How do you make fit all those people into one? Two and a half hour film and vent it and and let people walk away going, I got to see my super hit favourite superhero do something cool,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they pulled it off. So yeah, props to them. Um, yeah. and I feel like the you guys, if nothing else, be very very glad that that Joss Whedon is now six years in their fucking rearview mirror mm-hmm. and they don't have that. Um, anything Bye. I guess <laughs> they they don't have to be. Uh, the, the problem um that you produce about the nevers have
2: <laughs> oh
1: yeah that's uh I mean, the nevers, nevers is a tv series supposed to come out this year um created by joss whedon mm-hmm. um and the epic tale following a gang of victorian women who find themselves with unusual abilities relentless so enemy enemies and the mission that might change the world and somehow apparently it's in the can mm-hmm. so um they gotta try and Put this on air at some point yeah. with all the bad publicity that's going on around that's Joss Whedon right now. The
0: the uh, Victorian era women's focused show when the women's suffragette movement was around and they were suffering Joss Whedon. Yeah, so that's maybe leave it a the
1: shelf for another year or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he's off. A, he's he's stepped back from he's stepped away, been fired, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not working on it anymore, but his name in the credits. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Should we? This is our Marvel check into the longest Marvel check we've yeah. done for a long time. And I'm sure people who are listening aren't that interested anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> else have you got on your agenda over the last?
0: Well, you and I have synced up, and um, we have both watched episode one of Clarice. Um, that we had.
2: Um, what did
1: you
0: make of it? She really liked it. It wasn't quite what I was expecting, which is good. Um, I don't know what it's going to try and do. I have no idea if it's going to be able to improve or even maintain the quality or the style that it's going up, setting out to do. But I'm invested to watch at least one more episode. I... Didn't hate it.
2: Mm.
1: Um, my main interest in watching it was the fact that the star of the show, uh, playing Gloria Starling, is Rebecca breeze, breeze, who is an Australian actress. Um, I don't think I've seen anything she's done before. She did Home and Away and a few other things here. Um, mm. But I'm like, okay, that's interesting to see how an Aussie is going to play someone as as such distinctive uh, accent as Grady um, Foster. Mm. Um, and then I had a oh shit moment when I saw the creator was um, Alex Kurtzman, mm. um, and you're like, oh fuck that guy, <laughs> he has
2: everything
1: he stands for. Um, but he hasn't made a mess of it in one episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think that it's okay. It's okay. It's if you really like the Silence of the lambs, uh, I really like that film. I think there's enough here. Mm-hmm. To, to hang in there for a bit longer and see where it goes from this. Yeah. Where I thought it was a bit weak is Clarice isn't a very interesting character without Hannibal.
2: Yeah. There's a
1: reason why, subsequent to Science of the Lambs, there were what, two Hannibal Lecter films and then a TV show. Maybe um, it, it was Red Dragon and then there was Hannibal and then there was the Hannibal TV show.
0: There was also uh, Hannibal Rising.
1: Rising, so it was that. Of three movies and um four and four show.
0: movies and a TV show.
1: After after um uh Hunt sorry for Lamps. Uh and before we got a Clarice show, he's goes to show I think Clarice isn't a very interesting character. Mm. Um and I'm gonna file this under but I had this rant last year when you talked about Ratchet. Like oh, yes. no one was asking for a spin off show about Nurse Ratchet. Uh, yeah. I don't think anybody was asking for a spin off show about Clarice Starling um that said he did an interesting enough job um of sucking me into the story hmm. with that, and it did a really good job in a sense i'm pretty sure i've read they're not allowed to mention how to elect it
0: i think uh, that was one of the one of the cases because i think it was okay, one of those bizarre split rights situations kind of like with, with the with the x-men and mutants and things like that for fox and disney like, yeah, I think yeah, CBS so, got the rights to Clarice, um, which is one of the reasons why she didn't appear in the Hannibal show. And they got Hannibal, which is one of the reasons why they're probably not going to reference it. It's a, it's a quagmire of a mess so
1: Despite that, after the 1991 film adaptation science claims, mm. this series will avoid mentioning discussing Hannibal Lecter by name mm. due to distribution rights claims. Hannibal, 2013, aired on NBC, while this show airs on CBS. The mm. film rights of Red Dragon from 1981 and other Harris novels are owned by De Laurentiis Films at NBC, whereas CBS has only secured the rights of a novel, The Science of the Lambs from 1988. Um, so it's uh, okay. it's one of those... Um, yep. ...fuffles. Uh, so I thought, how do you make... This show about Clarice, interesting when you can't mention Hannibal Lecter. they've done an interesting job of sort of coming around and calling him, you know, a you know, a serial killer, or whatever the, it is. the cannibal know. and things like that. So they're gonna yeah, him without mentioning him. Um, yeah, yeah, like it was, it was good enough. It was good enough. Like it's sort of question whether or not they sort of come again that whether Clarice is a character is mm. interested enough to carry the whole series mm. forward. Um, for the the entire series, or season, I should say. I don't know how many episodes there are this season. Uh, Ten episodes. Ten. It is airing in Australia on Stan. Stan. Mm. Um, I
0: think that that this is kind of doomed to failure just on a storytelling basis. Clarice Starling, as a pop culture icon, is genuinely only really because of the relationship she has with Hannibal Lecter. And... Hannibal Lecter is one of the most iconic movie villains slash anti-heroes of all time. And so you kind of look at it in that regard and you think, okay, what could she possibly face that's going to be as compelling as Hannibal, uh, you know, her story with Hannibal Lecter, but not outshine that because the story continues on later on if you're going in a chronological timeline order it's you're damned if you do damned if you don't like they could deliver up an amazing serial killer it's like okay you're another dealing with another serial killer it is like oh it's getting all personal and stuff and they're getting weirdly kind of um, close and they're getting an intimate relationship sort of thing it's gonna always kind of feel off and weird and that's where these kinds of shows do best is when it gets under your skin and gets creepy, and it's like you can't get much creepier than Hannibal Lecter. He gets in your mind and he fucks you up. Um, so,
1: I, um, I what one, one thing I, I thought uh, of noting in here was I really like the, the period details, yes, like, but they're quite nicely done. Like, mm. you, you know, um, but the, the old cell phones and the, uh, the old computers. Mm. Um, and the other thing I thought, I think it might be an interesting scene here, and I guess we do have to, and I'm going to do it again, but we mm. do have to remember that one of the creators is Alex Fucking Kurtzman is, you know, Mr. Go-wake, go-broke. Um, but if you go back and watch the original film, there is certainly a subplot or a some subtext in there about the treatment of women. Mm. Like, if you think back to the original film, there's that scene where... Um, she's at the autopsy and she's just surrounded by all those cops mm. um and you know when they're in the, the plane of a helicopter afterwards and like um what's the other guy jack crawford's like oh you know i couldn't show witness in front of a cop she's like she goes, it matters you know people watch you see what you do yeah. it matters, you know yeah. um and you know i have a feeling with that, that kind of there was just a little bit of that flowing through the first episode in there as well about the treatment of of, of women especially in the early nineties and maybe we'll juxtapose that to, Hey, we were talking about this 30 years ago mm. and we are still fucking still. Talk. We just yeah. did. We just talked about just Whedon again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't know. This is just a vibe.
0: Yeah. I, I just, I just think that it's, it's going to have some interesting things to say that I think it's going to have to, it's gonna to have to tread some interesting water um, in different areas. Like I don't think it I kind of hope in the first episode there's alluding to kind of for lack of a better descriptor, uh, a cabal that's happening and the reason why there's all these murders in there. Is it a serial killer? Is it not? Is it something else? Is it cover up? Oh, yeah. I think Pichotated. that is
2: mm,
0: I'm wondering
1: the risk Darling crossover is the smoking mm-hmm. man. <laughs> that's, that's the fret. It's the freaking aliens. Frickin'
0: aliens. <laughs> frickin aliens. Uh, th- this one is just the lizard people.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably not going to do that. Um, but if you're yeah, right, it's a fair point. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you think of, We just talked about it. Like, you need a proper bad guy yeah. to, to make your story really compelling. Yeah. Um, and how do you come up with a bad guy who is as bad or even remotely as interesting as, as possibly one of the most iconic yeah. serial killer bad guys in film history, right? Like,
2: yeah,
1: oh. you know, um, it's going to be, yeah, I, I don't like it. It's an uphill battle. Mm. Um, yeah. an uphill battle. So. But, we'll you know, I, I don't I, think they've
0: really put, certainly in the first episode, there's nothing that I've looked at and gone, oh, no, that's that's not good.
2: It was, um, it was okay. It was like, it's a, go, okay, it's a
0: solid go. pilot episode.
1: I was I was interested enough to watch. Um, I guess I just put my skepticism down to the mm. fact that the people writing this are the people who are writing Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Discovery. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to harp on it, but it's true. The writers here are Alex Kurtzman and Jenny Lumet. Um, Jenny Lume is the writer of Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard. Uh, and also wrote the Tom Cruise Mummy film. Yep, it's a new writing team. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so, take that. I will probably watch a few more episodes because it's yeah. hard to get stuff. It's not a whole lot to watch these days. It's like not much. No. It's to come across.
0: Yeah, yeah it really is. Um, what else do you want to talk about, Trey?
1: Huh? I, um found my way to a, an older film this week via mm-hmm. an unusual route. I was watching a series on, I don't even know what, one of my streaming services it was, it could have been Stan, it could have been Prime, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, called The Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. I won't focus on what that shows. That's basically a mini documentary series about The Comedy Store, which is an actual, down a comedy venue in LA.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's written by a guy named Mike Binder. Mike Binder was a stand up comic who, as a of it, was an original person when uh, uh, he did a lot of stand up work at that venue.
2: Mm-hmm. He's
1: now a filmmaker, uh-huh. writer, director. And I noticed he written and directed a film about from uh, 2007 called Rain Over Me, uh-huh. which I've always been curious to go back and watch because it sounded like an interesting premise. So I went back and I watched. Rain Over Me, this week, when I could have been a
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I watched Rain Over Me.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> so, Rain Over Me is a 2007 film starring Don Cheadle and Adam Sandler, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Liv Tyler, Saffron Burrows, Donald Sutherland, and Mike Bindham. Um And the uh, plot, a man who lost his family in a September 11 attack on, new, on new York City, runs into his old college roommate, Rekindling the friendship is the one thing it appears to ha- able to help the man recover from his grief. Mm-hmm. So Don Cheadle is a successful, if bored, um, dentist in New York City. Uh, and while he's uh, uh, driving in the city one day, he notices uh, Adam Sandler scoot past on an electric scooter.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Adam Sandler being his college roommate, who, as you noted, lost his wife and three daughters in one of the planes that crashed the World Trade Center on 9-11. Um, and they haven't spoken in years, but he's never been able to get in touch with him after the, the incident. Mm-hmm. Um, and they managed to, while well, he misses the invadication, he just managed to reconnect with him shortly afterwards. And they sort of change each other's life in varyingly good and bad ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of, sort of, he's very, Don Cheadle's Alan, Alan plays Alan Johnson, uh, Adam Sandler plays Charlie Finnegan. Alan is very interested in trying to help Charlie get some help with his problems, Charlie is, uh, plays grief in a very interesting Adam Sandler-esque way, in the sense that he sort of veers from, you know, complete despondency to, you know, incredible, you know, uh, outbursts of anger and aggression and uh, accusing Alan of being, you know, spying on him and, you know, being sent to do things to him and that sort of thing. Um, It's an interesting little story. The two lead roles are played brilliantly well by Don Mm. Cheadle and Adam Sandler. And I'm, yes, I'm giving a compliment to Sandler here. Um, Adam Sandler is in full Punch Drunk Love mode here. I was Um, gonna say
0: uh, that it it looks uh, along the same lines.
1: uh, The genius if you haven't seen Punch Drunk Love is Mm. that um, it is the Adam Sandler film that Adam Sandler fans hate Mm. because all of a sudden, that Adam Sandler, the one character he plays, you know, <laughs> um, man-child with anger problems, yeah. is not being played for laughs.
2: Mm-hmm. He's been
1: played for Menace by um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Anderson, is it Paul Thomas Anderson, I think he directed that film? Yes. Um, and wow, he is, it's a fucking brilliant movie. Uh, and he really is menacing in that film, mm-hmm. like, really kind of fucked up on kind of way. And you're like, that's kind of cool. And I'm pretty sure the word in the street is uh, Javier Bardem, was originally um, going to play Don Cheadle's role in this film, which would have been interesting. But mm. he was—he um, had seen *Puncture Love* and brought um, Adam Sandler into this film because of that, um, which was a, a, an inspired choice. Because again, he plays—you know—an angry man child, <laughs> you know, and this time <laughs> let's add a drop, a keeping helping of grief and tragedy into that, and you get. Charlie Feynman in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Cheadle plays his role as sort of a quiet desperation. He's sort of a a kept man. His wife is played by Jada Pinkett Smith and he's got a beautiful, had a great life, but he's kind of, feels like something's missing for him and I feel like Charlie brings mm-hmm. that to him. Also really, at least on one occasion, uh, while sitting and waiting for Charlie at his therapist's office, he is, Don Cheadle is reading a Captain America comic book and complains that about Falcon's outfit looking faggy. Um, and this you know, is three years before he plays War Machine in Iron Man 2. <laughs> um, so I was sitting in there going, Oh, that's a nice little Easter egg and not at Don's in the, Oh, a Marvel MCU did not exist in 2007.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so that was just a, and there's actually a second scene where someone else is reading Captain American comic book, that it's, um, really prescient. Um, and so those, that, that story of their relationship and and you know the struggle that Al, Alan struggled to sort of get Charlie to get help and overcome mm. you know getting to trust him again and you know start to help Charlie be better is mm. really compelling and really well done and those two guys really uh, knock it out of the park. Unfortunately, it's the other direct that's going on around it that really drags this down. I remember okay. when it came out a lot of people were like yeah it's all right but it was kind of middling mm. and i can see exactly why now this movie is two hours and four minutes long it's got a good 30 minutes of fluff that needed to be chopped out
2: mm-hmm. so
1: there's a whole other subplot with chaffron burrows this character who's sort of like this weird messed up nymphomaniac who's trying to you know, intermittently you know uh sexually assault don cheadle and then sue him and then not then maybe she's interested in Adam Sandler's character, or is she? We don't know. Okay. Um, and she plays in a, quite a central role towards the end, and I'm like, this is really weird. I don't understand exactly why she's here or what this character's about. Liv Tyler <clears throat> is completely out of her depth playing a, a psychologist. I thought at that time when um, uh, ne- Nicole Kidman played a brain surgeon in Days of Thunder, and you're like, come on. <laughs> brain surgeon. <laughs> really, I don't think so. <laughs> so apparently she, her role was to be played by Jennifer Garner, who dropped out a few weeks before production began. So that okay. might explain why was sort of shoved into a role which really didn't suit her. Jada Pinkett Smith comes across as kind of naggy and not very understanding of what her husband's trying to do. And she's given precious little screen time and she should have been treated significantly better, I would have thought. And mm. Donald Sutherland, you're like, he's in it for like 10 minutes and you're like, oh. Okay, uh, and it's sort of this whole courtroom sequence towards the end where he plays the judge and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't I'm not down with this. I don't understand
2: why this scene
1: is here or what it's achieving. So, like you said, there's a really good, I mean, I think I saw a review um, the other day that said, look, there's a good 86 minute film here. It just that this film goes for two hours and mm. I 100% agree about this film. Had a lot, a lot, had a lot going for it. And those two central performances, I would say make it worth seeing. But yeah. you're probably like me going to start to go, and you, you sort of get to a really interesting point in their relationship. And you look at the time, you're like, oh, there's 40 minutes to go. What are you going to do if we have a 40 minutes? What are you, <laughs> this, should be, this should be wrapping up now. Why is there 40 minutes?
0: Aye. Should, should uh, we, should so we look, go to a ball game?
1: <laughs> pretty much. It's like you play us out, Jim. And, and so it, um, it goes in some odd directions from there, but it probably. It, uh, I didn't feel it made sense with the rest of it. It kind of felt tacked on. It's like, mm. oh, no, this, I want this to be a prestige piece. And, you know, I, I can't just wrap my story up in, in 86 minutes, the mm. view I saw this week said. um, It's, yeah, um, it's unfortunate, but it kind of, it could have really been, I think it at, at 90 minutes, mm-hmm. this film is, is, you know, maybe Oscar material for some of the acting mm. awards, not directing or writing, but acting. Uh, unfortunately the other 40 minutes run have ruined
0: it. Uh, That's a shame. I'll have to get around to to watching it. It's one of my uh, best mates, Mike, back in the UK. Hi, Mike. He he loved this movie.
1: Oh, I I, I would encourage Mike, jump on the Fried Brain Productions Facebook page and uh, change my mind. Um, (laughs) Obviously, I'm in the minority here. Look, it's got a 7.4 on IMDb and I would say that's probably a little higher than I would go. I would give it a six, mm. six and a half out of 10 if I had to sort of pick a number, not, not five out of seven, because uh, that basically means perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I would give it about a six and a half. It just it just had so much going for it. I really enjoyed how those two guys, Bounce yeah, and Gobbitch had great mm. chemistry. And we do forget Don Cheadle um, is a cap- very, very capable actor. And it's a little disappointing, From an basically all he kind of anything i can think of seeing him in recently is mcu stuff and they don't give war machine much to do
0: not really and i mean in age of ultron he's kind of made a bit of a joke he's sort of like oh your your level of success doesn't even register to to the true avengers it's it's kind of a weird way to treat one of your characters like "Eh, i don't think war machine has ever really been Designed to be a joke character I don't get it but yeah it's I agree he's, he's a he's a good actor when he's given a, given the possibility.
1: If you go back to Hotel Rwanda in I think mm. 2004 was the one where he really came out and said, yeah actually I can really really act if, if he mm-hmm. needs to so
0: So um, you know he was yeah. in um, he's done some music videos. Um, since um, Captain America Civil War, um, and then basically his movies have been Avengers Infinity War. He was in Captain Marvel. Apparently, I can't remember him in that. He was in Endgame. He was a voice in the Disney's Ducktales. Don't look deeper. Black Monday. I, I haven't watched any of that stuff, so. I don't know.
1: I imagine the MCU money, uh, yeah. Yeah. in mean, uh, silk sheets and. Uh, I reckon
0: sheets. so. He's coming, he's going to um, be in Space Jam 2.
1: <laughs> so. And I don't imagine it would become cheap. So, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm being a little hypercritical of this film. I, I liked it enough, and you know, being somebody who enjoys really good acting, it was good enough. Mm. And it certainly didn't feel exploitative of the 9 11 setting, which it certainly could have been in, in mm-hmm. some sense. Um, so, look, I, I'll be curious if, if you, if you what, when you get around to watch it, hear what you think. Mm. Uh, Mike, if you're listening, as I said, jump on the Facebook mm-hmm. page. Tell us what you think of this. Tell us why you love this movie.
2: Mm. I'd
1: be very curious to hear it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, the last thing that I want to talk about is um, I've actually, because of lockdown and me not being able to go and visit people or places or things, I actually had time to play a computer game. My goodness. There's wonderful things, games you play for hours. You get to enjoy and experience. And I've been playing one. Um, it's a one of the new Ubisoft games called Immortals: Phoenix Rising. Playing it on the N- Nintendo Switch, but it is available on pretty much every console and computer available. Is it on Stadia, Amazon Luna, PlayStation Four, Five? Stadia, Xbox. Stadia is closing down. <laughs> Not surprised. Um, but Immortals Phoenix Rising got a bit of flack when it was first announced. Um, oof, must have been three years ago at this point um, because the, the trailer came out and was like, oh, that looks a lot like Zelda Breath of the Wild. And there is a lot of similarity to, to Breath of the Wild the way that it is a third person action adventure. you have There is nothing stopping you from exploring the entire world and going straight to the end game if you really want to you won't be able to get it it is not as hands off as breath of the wild where you can literally go to fight ganon straight away Um, in this you are there are different quadrants of this beautiful island and each section in a very typical ubisoft manner you find the highest peak you do a surveillance of the area and then you find all these different Submissions and subquests and puzzles and things like that that you can use to buff up your character, improve their um, the statistics and things, and you slowly go around uncovering more of the map, and then you can keep the story going. Um, it is very much um, kind of a Breath of the Wild typical open uh, RPG basic game that is just fun and the important thing about it is the level of character that they put into the gods because it is centered around the greek gods and you play phoenix who is the survivor of a shipwreck and everyone has been turned to stone and you meet um the character of where is he hermes hermes seems to be the only god that is engaging with anyone, and you find out that Typhon is attempting to basically destroy all gods in the world. Your job is to bring the gods back, utilizing their power to then go and fight Typhon. Um, It is a very generic story, but the the way that characters are portrayed and the the dialogue the voice work between the um between the gods is really really good it's really entertaining um the story kind of plays out in narration by um prometheus who is still chained to the rock and every day an eagle comes and eats his liver as the, um as the the legend foretells he is basically made
2: a deal with zeus that if he can tell a comp- telling story to convince zeus he will be free
0: and zeus will then save the world and it's an interesting way of doing it because as you are progressing through the story you occasionally get these little bits and pieces of prometheus narrating what it is you have just done or you start scaling um the the mountain to enter into tartarus and starts talking prometheus starts talking about the effects that it, it and the, the feeling that um, your character goes through. It's a little bit ham-fisted, hand, you should kind of be allowed to feel your own feelings, but they're, they're fun and engaging. Um, this is kind of, kind of baby's first open-world RPG. It's really simple mechanics, you've simple progression trees of skills and things like that. Um, it's not that difficult, you can, like the 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 abilities you get mean that you can generally kind of for most enemies even the really hard ones it'll take you a little while but if you don't want to get in close and do counters and blocks and things like that you can keep a nice long distance and use the bow and slowly chip them away and you can you can get through it easily so if you are a parent looking for a game that your child can safely play there's no bad words in it there's no genuine sort of bloodletting or violence, everything just poofs into black smoke because they're all just monsters and they return to Tartarus. It's a really good option to kind of go, here you go, try this. Um, The weapons don't have the annoying habit of breaking like in Breath of the Wild, you just consistently improving, improving. It's fun, it's light, it's bright, but the learning curve is good. It's not one of those games where you kind of complete first level and it's like all right you've got the basics now we're just going to throw shit at you tough luck you can every time you kind of go to a new area or you meet a new boss the the difficulty ramp ramps up a little bit it's like okay you're probably going to die the first time you're um, fighting against this because you're learning their the fight pattern and the way that they play um, but you can also just kind of manipulate things and this is particularly evident in a lot of the puzzles most of the puzzles that I was going through and completing there's a lot of things like oh you've got to get a weight on here and um to get this switch going and that switch going to activate that some of them I'm pretty sure that I did not complete the way that they are supposed to be I managed to makeshift it like I was cutting down trees to use as weights when I couldn't find the the proper weights That you're supposed to find in the area so like that'll do and i was just stacking wood on top of wood until it kind of weighed the right amount and it chunked down one time i was like i've looked everywhere there are no trees i need something heavy to put on that i'll summon my horse so i just stood my horse on it (laughs) like yep that worked and i felt good about it It's like i i gamed the system great you can do that in fights as well you can throw rocks at um like uh cyclops heads and they've got a lot of hit points and if you hit them in the head it does like a thousand hit points and you can knock them out pretty quickly there's it's it's a nice sandbox game that you kind of go like, i'm pretty sure i didn't do that the way they intended but it worked so i'm good
1: it's nice yeah. i like that but it's sort of, you know you, you are yeah. forced to play the game fair way
0: yeah and it's it's really refreshing and um i i hope to see more of it though the game that kind of jumped to my mind in certainly the latter parts of the of the game because I'm right at the end game now. Um, did you ever get to play um, uh, Legacy of Kane? Never heard of it. Okay, it was um, a particularly Legacy of Kane's Soul Reaper, which came out on PlayStation 2, I think. It was one of the first kind of semi-open world games that, really played with the environment because you you can transport between two different planes of existence and the way that your kind of character um it's got semi-useful wings and things there's a lot of the the feel of the game feels like legacy of kane soul reaver so if you're a fan of that game you'll probably enjoy how this game feels but it's also very very accessible very easy um I hope that they do something more like this in the future because Ubisoft have been making some interesting choices, particularly their partnerships with Nintendo. This this game feels so much more at home on a Nintendo console because of the bright colours. You've heard was- the
1: actually. I've heard stories from people saying, "I actually want to stop this, start again on a different console because I feel with Nintendo um, the Nintendo port's
0: disappointing." Graphically. Yes, I get that because it does slug. It, it's doing a lot. There's a lot of effects that it comes on screen and sometimes it, like you'll be having a fight and it's like,
2: oh, no, why have you slowed down to 20
0: frames a second? Come on. It's really annoying. But just the, the way that the story is told, the kind of the brevity, the lightness, the humor and the, the simplicity of it, but that potential for deeper control feels very, very Nintendo. Um, it doesn't feel like your typical PlayStation game, for example, where you think of those blockbuster, realistic um, effects of The Last of Us and Uncharted and Spider-Man and God of War and all of those kinds of games. It doesn't feel like that that mature game. Um, whereas, and with Xbox, it doesn't. It's not a guns blazing kind of game. Um, it's not Elder Scrolls or anything like that. It's not as deep as any of those. it, it fits more in that. For the whole family environment of a Nintendo game, Um, performance-wise, it's okay. I'm generally playing it um, docked, which does mean that it runs a little bit better than handheld. But still, it's—I'm not a graphics core, and it's only occasionally exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like playing the best games. Um, They just don't come out very often. but it's it's a really fun game if it comes up on um on a sale or if it goes to xbox game pass or anything like that i do recommend dropping in and just trying it because it is a fun game to play and you can pick it up very easily and you it's very overall very generous with um, automatic save spots and health and stamina and all those sorts of things so you never feel like oh, you're fucking kidding me I fell off the side of the mountain and I've got to do all of that again fuck you there's usually like logical auto safe spots that where if you do die you can restart from the last safe spot and you you've not lost too much and of your of anything that you've built up or any of your progress so it's, it's pretty good it's pretty forgiving so i do recommend it overall it's not you're not looking at game of the year or anything like that this is a fun game that you can just kind of sort of turn your brain off and just be entertained and it is entertaining for sure it is very well voiced um the visuals are nice and interesting they and you know there's someone like me who i do love A lot of the the Greek mythology, and particularly all of the gods and the way they do them, they characterise and capture the character of the Greek gods very well in their portrayals, and the way they bicker and fight as as families do. It's it's very much a me game, and I appreciate that, especially during lockdown.
1: No, I'm I'm with you. I um actually picked up a game myself this week, the first time Mm. in. Um, i've been playing seven days to die on and off now for probably six months but um, <laughs> I the game other than that which i won't talk about too long this week but i'll just mm. heads up but i'll try and give us a, a bit of a um, more a deeper talk about it uh, next weekend it's called dying Light.
0: oh that's a good game
1: it is sort of a zombie parkour game which yeah. normally isn't my jam but parkour is just not really something i look for in games um but i'm kind of digging it after only a couple of hours playing it so i'm not gonna waste our audience's time on it i would say but if you're interested tune in next week and i'll try and have something to say about it
0: cool all right well i think that is our show it's been a bit longer than normal um but uh you know we did our best and thank you everyone for joining in now or later sorry hopefully we'll be back to our normal broadcasting options if restream actually get their shit together yes But until then this has been episode 101 of the armchair producers where we talked about the gift we are going to be watching whiplash caro of jk simmons uh we reviewed episode six of wonder wandavision episode one of clarice we have touched on um you know a few years after the fact of age of ultron Trav watched Rain Over Me and I talked about Immortals, Phoenix Rising. On that note, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash the fried brain where you can actually also donate to us as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash fried brain productions or facebook.com slash fried brain productions thank you and see you next time bye bye